At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey guys, it's Alicia. Just wanted to hop in and apologize for some audio trouble that we had in this episode. Uh, because of some computer problems and a, an untimely crash, uh, which is uh, terrifying, um, we did lose part of the episode. It was late in the episode. It was during the mailbag. So we will just re-answer the, some of the mailbag questions in the preview episode. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it happens. And there's also a little bit of static in there that we weren't able to, to quite remove. So the audio quality in this episode is not quite up to the standards that the audio czar himself, Michael Castillo, uh, would normally like, but, uh, you know, it's the reality of, uh, of of recording and of computers and of all of that kind of stuff. So bear with us here. Hope you guys still enjoy the show. And uh, yeah, see ya. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Get Michael Castillo on the phone. <laughs> Scrap. Claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Oh, I can't believe USC is five and seven and not going to a ball. Oh. All right, Trojan fans, turn up the volume. It's time for Reign of Troy Radio. Here's your host, Michael Castillo. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio, episode 341, coming to you on Wednesday, October 30th. We're going to look back at USC's 35-31 win over the Colorado Buffaloes give you a little bit more of a breakdown, play the rants, and so much more here on this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Reign of Troy at fanside.com, and our phone number is 213-373-1USC. I'm your host, Michael Castillo, joining along with my co-host, Alicia Daratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. It is, uh, we are back home. I am in Phoenix. You are in LA, uh, getting ready for another week of preparing for USC football, which the Trojans play the Ducks this week, but we're still looking back at Colorado. Yep. uh, A little later in the week than we normally uh, would like to get these things out, but you know, it happens and, uh, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I think it's a good thing that I had a few days to chill out, to calm down and to collect my thoughts. Oh, is that right? That's, that's correct. Yes. So are you saying that you've, you've watched the game and you've changed your opinion a little bit? Oh no, I haven't. Okay. I mean, do I need well, well, to use the M word? I I can still spell it out for you. 
Yeah, M E D I U M. That's it. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get into the rewatch a little bit later. So with the win over Colorado, 35 to 31, the Rotbots were riled up and called in the Rancho rant line. Here's what they had to say. What's up, Randy Troy? Greg here from Louisiana. Hey, Michael and Alicia. This is Andrew from Buckhead Country. God from Memphis. What's up, Randy Troy? This is David from North Hollywood. Gary Bear from L.A. Yeah, this is C from Dallas. Darlene from San Diego. Randy Troy Radio. What's up? This is Dave from Orange County. This is Dave from Utah. And Steve uh, <laughs> doesn't have a voice today. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, 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 no. Hey, hey, hey. Tell him goodbye. Wait, what? What just happened? Oh, we came back and we won the game. I was celebrating Helton's departure. Oh, well, I guess we'll have to wait another week. Holy forking shirt loss. USC football is the bad place. Hi, guys. Trinice from Inglewood calling in. And you know what? I'm in a great mood. Because for the first time in forever, hashtag Frozen, the USC Trojans played a game where they were behind and they came back and won? What? We called it. We called it when we said that USC was going to win, but they were going to win ugly. And that's just exactly what we did. This was an excruciating, U-G-L-Y, ugly win. I wouldn't call it ugly. I'd call it what USC should do and what they do are just at odds every single week, and it just puts us fans through the ringer. This victory was not satisfactory. This talent has bailed out this coaching staff one too many times. Clay Held needs to be fired. Needs to be fired at the end of the season because we suck. We have too much freaking talent. Yeah, I know we got injuries tonight against Colorado, but Colorado sucks, man. Clay Held has got to go win or lose tonight at Colorado. It's just bad. Poor time management. Poor clock management. Right before the second half, he didn't call the timeout at all and then chose to run the ball when he got it with 40 seconds left. What was the point of that? Karma won't get his boot off Clay Helton's throat. Oh my God, are you kidding me? Once again, always out thinking to myself, we need a new coach in here who hasn't been through the section, who hasn't known what it is to be scarce. Since then, we don't practice hard. And as the risk of injured players, that's when they had like 42 scholarship players or something. Listen, he was here for all that. So he that's why these practices are soft like that. I've been saying this for years. This is ridiculous. He's got to go. We deserve better. Ugh. I blame the administration. That's solely who I blame. Administration and the board of trustees. They are fat on greed and wanting power. And it's, and it's come at the cost of the football program. This is just beyond embarrassing. We were 10 to 13 point favorites and we won by three this is disgusting we should be better than this and C players like they're allergic to blitzing you still hit the quarterback no matter what they, these dudes get there if they keep rushing they'll get there but they stop and want to shadow man get there you got the backup running up the gut on us like nothing man did Clancy Pendergast decide we were going to play flag football in that first half it's pretty evident that, that he should not have been retained this year but Clay kept his guys he kept Baxter he kept Clancy those guys look like they're kind of killing us week in week out Clancy Pendergast I'm sorry like we have a good game we have a bad game we have a good game we look atrocious the next game 
I know you look good against Arizona. Congratulations. That was Arizona at home. You need to step up your game on the road against Colorado. Hey, it's Sean in Mid-City. I'm just driving back from my friend's place after watching the game. We've got an extra day before Oregon, so here's the plan. So tomorrow, everybody watch college football, like everybody on the team, to see what real, you know, good football should look like. So we all do that, including the team and the coaches. And then on Sunday, we sit Clancy Pendergast down, and we make him watch the whole game, start to finish, like clockwork orange style, forcing his eyelids open, make him watch the whole thing. And then at the end, we roll up a newspaper, and we smack him on the nose, and we say, no, no, bad, no. I mean, that's the best idea I have right now. I mean, other than wholesale changes to the staff. Oh, my God, what the heck is going on? There's no football reason we're going to beat Oregon next week. They're just so much better than us. And if we play like we played today, tonight, we're going to get killed. We are going to get boat raced by Oregon. So this is this is what's happened over here. We are smoking victory cigars. And the only reason why we keep calling back is because we know that the Rain Troy Radio, the Rotbots are not calling in when we win a victory like this. They want to call in when BYU beats us. They want to call in when Notre Dame beats us. But when we have a victory that comes out ugly, nobody's calling in. So guess what? I'm calling in. We did what it takes to win on the road. Since 1992, the fourth quarter, down by 10 points, USC has not won a fourth quarter game when we're down by 10 points, and we did that tonight. So I don't care what y'all say. I don't care what the other robots say. I don't care that they're not calling in. I'm calling in. Way to go, way to go, Trojans. Way to, way to pull out this victory. Way to pull it out ugly. Now let's get prepped up for Oregon next week because we're going to need to bring all of that strength. We're going to need to bring all of that to the home game and to beat your Oregon. Those ducks are coming. Let's beat them down. The receiving core is amazing. I don't even know what to say. Michael Pittman is a beast. Tyler Vaughn is a beast. Amon Raw, the running back and wide receiver, is a beast. What I love about Keaton Slovis, for real, for real, he finishes. Fourth quarter specifically. Like, unlike JT Daniels, in my opinion, he reads and reacts. Hey, Michael Alicia, look. We don't appreciate your short message there and cutting us off like you did. But, uh, hey, you know, we just want to say we appreciate you guys doing a good job. It was fun watching on the on the Slack channel and, and paying attention to what everybody was saying. But, you know, Steve's got some things to say here, too. So I'll turn this over to Steve. Go ahead, buddy. Hey, we won on the road. Good game by Pittman. Good game by Vaughn's Defense bends. Didn't break at the wrong time. I'll take it. It's a win. Big, 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 big job by our defense with, like, our fourth string, our fifth string, our eighth string players in the game. Well, not only a road victory, but got the uh, reign of Troy off the hook with finally, finally. Getting, finally getting a win when they go to a game. Congratulations. You guys are not the cause of all of our of all of our faults, of all of our losses. Well, they won a, won a road game, period, is, is just remarkable. Congrats, Rot, on the road win. Good job. But if we can pay as members of the Patreon to have you guys not go to road games anymore in the future, um, I'd, I'd like to contribute to that. Uh, thanks for everything. Love the podcast. This is my first time calling in and uh, fight on. Fight on. Fight on. Fight out. Fight out. <laughs> there we go, Alicia. People were riled up 
for USC's win over the Colorado Buffaloes. A lot of rants, a lot of raves at the end, a little, I think it really personifies the whole medium versus mediocre thing. Uh, Because it's mediocre. Okay. At least I know I'm not the only person fired up. But speaking of road trips, SC got their first road win of the season in Boulder, and there's going to be more road games ahead at ASU on the 9th of November, which now is a kickoff time, by the way. 1.30 p.m. Mountain Time if you're going, 12.30 p.m. Pacific if you're staying in L.A., and then USC goes up to Cal the following week. We are going to both games. We're going to try to have meetups for both games. The first meetup. On November 8th, Friday in Phoenix at the Churchill on 1st Street. The Churchill on 1st Street. Uh, it is a super cool place, dog-friendly, 21+. plus. It is, uh, we, we talked about it last week. It's like a, um, it's like a food court for bars. Like, you go in there and there's like three, four different bars and it's, it's a, it's a free-for-all. All I need to know is, do they have a cider? I'm sure some place will have a cider. There's then also a little pizza I will place be happy. there, too. So. Ooh. Oh, now we're talking. Now yeah, we're really it, talking. It's going to be a fun place. Uh, our friends from Traveler Hitch Thursdays will be there. Uh, it'll be it'll be a super great time. So come see us 7 p.m. November 8th at the Churchill on 1st Street in Phoenix. Uh, we are still trying to lock down a place uh, for the Cal meetup because, like we've talked about before, like the geography is just weird. Do we go to Berkeley? Do we go to... San Francisco, we're going to be staying in the South Bay in, in San Jose. Do we do something down there? That seems a little probably not. Because who's going to be staying down there? Nobody, because it's not the Stanford game. So I don't know. We'll figure something out. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to find some way to to do at least a small little meetup. But venue, uh, we had some suggestions on, on Twitter from somebody about potential venues up there. So it's yeah. under consideration at the very least. Yeah, fire away. If you've got any suggestions, we're always game to hear those. So much stuff coming to you on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Alisa, you are doing your rewatches. We're going to talk about the game looking back, and so much of that is going to come out from stuff that you put in your rewatch episode over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Get all of our bonus episodes for as little as five fifty five a month, and for 10 bucks, you get to join our Slack channel where we're talking about USC football nonstop, especially on game days. Yeah, and you were really looking forward to my rewatch this week because you thought that I was going to have this grand change of perspective. And it was very illuminating to watch to, to rewatch the game, but I don't think it gave me a grand perspective shift so much as a clarification on what made me angry and why. And also what was really bad and what was really not bad. But Don't spoil yeah. the next the next segment too much. All right. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, but the good news is you go into so much more detail over there on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Reign of Troy is where you can join the party uh, and help support the show. Uh, let's get into this thing. Come right back and get to the news and so much more up next. We're right back. Alicia SC returned to the practice field on Tuesday, yesterday, uh, and the injuries were the big question because Clay Helton did not give a injury update on Sunday night in his Sunday night conference call. He said he was going to wait because the players had been off all weekend, and so they were going to wait until they came back on Monday, reassess, and tell the media on Tuesday. He came out, and Christian Rector and Chris Steele practiced, but then said everybody else was day-to-day. 
Uh, I put on Twitter, this is like, if you're a hockey fan in the playoffs, everybody has a, quote, body injury in his day-to-day where they just don't tell you anything. That's what this reminded me of. Everyone's day-to-day, there's no clarity about anything. Yeah, and that's, um, it's, the the lack of clarity is really the hard part here because you have a lot of different players dealing with a lot of different injuries. So you have Stephen Carr with a hamstring, Palaianateote, and Drake Jackson with ankle injuries of, of different degrees. Uh, Talano Hafanga and Abdul Malik McLean with shoulder injuries of different degrees. And I think that, I don't think that all of those players are at the same stage of potentially playing, but they're all getting put under the same umbrella. So it's really hard to, really hard to say. Like someone like Marquis Stepp, we know is going to be out, you know, three to five weeks. So not expecting anything from him. Fai Malapai, probably expecting him to stay out, but all vagaries with that. Stephen Carr was a guy that, you know, grade two hamstring strain. Maybe he's back in a week. Maybe it's two, three, four weeks. It's hard to say. Uh, the the ankles they're all they're all really difficult to to gauge. So uh, I was kind of hoping on Tuesday to find out a little bit more certainty around um, who would and wouldn't be playing in 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 what is going to be a huge game for USC on Saturday. And instead, we we basically get like Christian Rector and Chris Steele are on are on uh, schedule, but. You know, someone like Jordan Iosefa not practicing on Tuesday, that has got to be something that you look at and say, well, would he really make his debut this season against Oregon having not spent the full week in practice? Like, I don't know. So it's 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 a little, a little bit frustrating, honestly, to sort of figure this all out. But at the very least, good news with, with Rector and, and Steele. You know, those are two starters you get back. Two productive starters. Yeah, the the one I thought SC was going to need back was Drake Jackson. Uh, but if he's not yeah. practicing yet, I think that that's a red flag, uh, at least for now. I mean, maybe he comes back later in the week. Maybe he plays without practicing, pulls a uh, a Port Augustine Chumadoga type, type deal. Maybe I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll see. Um, but those I, Rector, I, I expected him to come back because we knew that he was the fifty fifty proposition last week. And I think I had said, like, hold him out of that game. You don't need him against Colorado. You need him against Oregon. So I expected him to be back, and it looks like he's going to be. But Drake Jackson's the one for me. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, of the players that are out, I think you sort of look at it and think, if USC just gets one of those guys back, it'll make a big difference. You know, if, if it's if it's Stephen Carr, uh, if it's Nateote or, or Drake Jackson or Talano Havanga, any one of them, uh, raises your level quite a bit going into Oregon. But if you get none of them back, then you're sort of, you're not really that much stronger than you were going in against Colorado, certainly on defense. Um, I, I agree with you. I think that we went in expecting to see Christian Rector back and getting Chris Steele back is certainly a plus. But I don't think that either of those are the kind of game-changing returnees the way that I think you're right referencing Drake Jackson as a game-changer and Talano Havanga is a game changer. Ian Ateote has been a little bit of a dis- disappointment this year, but he certainly has game changing talent. Uh, so, yeah, th- those those are the ones that I'm sort of tracking to see how this all goes. But you sort of take what you can get at this point. I think that Wednesday will tell us a lot more, uh, but uh, I guess it's just wait and see. Other injury news that we did get uh, is that Jacob Lichtenstein needs surgery on both calves. Which not only sounds incredibly painful, but like I don't even know how do you, how do you rehab getting surgery on both calves? 
Yeah, I've I've got no idea. Uh, th- this whole injury with him is very f- kind of weird, interesting. Um, they told us before the season started that he had a calf problem and that it would just be a couple weeks, you know, three, four weeks. And that was like three, four weeks ago. So it started certainly looking like he was a guy who maybe wasn't going to be able to to play this season. But uh, today, Helton, uh, you know, updated us that he's going to need surgery uh, because he has compartment syndrome, which just doesn't sound fun at all. Uh, according to WebMD, compartment syndrome occurs when excessive pressure builds up inside an enclosed muscle space in the body. Uh, compartment syndrome usually results from bleeding or swelling after an injury. Um, yeah, uh, whatever whatever it is, whatever it is, it doesn't sound good. Um, so it usually comes from like a fracture, which again, doesn't sound good. Uh, so Jacob Lichtenstein is done for the season, obviously. Uh, it's, it's unfortunate because he has already taken a red shirt. So it's not like they can just sort of sit him and get a, get a season of eligibility back, but maybe this puts him a step closer to potentially taking a medical red shirt at some point. Um, so that'll be interesting, but it's really just a bummer because I, I, I kind of had high hopes high hopes for him being a member of this rotation. And we've seen Nick Figueroa and Caleb Tremblay and those guys, Connor Murphy, get some run this year with some more uh, increased uh, uh, rotation. And so I think Lichtenstein, Lichtenstein would have been in there if he had been healthy. And it's just it's just a bummer to, to not have him participate. Yeah, it's depth that SC surely could have used, uh, especially last season towards the end of the season. Uh, he kind of showed out a little bit, and and we thought that in this offseason he was going to take that next step and really kind of come to the forefront, maybe sort of like what Christian Rector did. I remember Christian Rector came out of nowhere, it seemed, and then all of a sudden was was a standout player for USC. I kind of expected the same thing from Lichtenstein at some point. Uh, the injury here doesn't obviously help him. Uh, we'll see what happens next year when he's able to uh, get healthy and come back. And speaking of next year, here's another one. Brew McCoy is officially out until spring. No surprise here. We all sort of expected he hadn't been cleared from the NCAA. We didn't think he was going to get the clearance from the NCAA. When you throw in the uh, fever of unknown origin and that whole saga, uh, it was just pretty obvious that he wasn't going to see the field uh, this year. So, yep, looking forward to see him in spring camp. That's all you can do. Now, what if you were told in December that Brew McCoy and Devin Williams would combine for like one catch on the season? Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Jeez, what a turn of events. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone would have believed that. Uh, other news, NCAA news. We don't have this in a rundown, but I'm just going to wing it here. The NCAA voted on Tuesday unanimously, by the way, to allow student-athletes to be paid for the use of name, image, and likeness once its three divisions decide on rules for such opportunities. That is from CNN. Yeah, so on the one hand, this sounds really good. Uh, a lot of people were celebrating it. Because it is a step in the right direction from the NCAA. On the other hand, I think that we shouldn't jump to conclusions that this is the 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 step that gets it all right with the name, image, and likeness stuff. The NCAA's sort of uh, vote on this was very vague as far as what actually constitutes the ability to profit off name, image, and likeness. Um, they still made it clear that uh, the players are not employees. They made it clear that players are not allowed to profit 
from their participation or performance, which I think that if we as reasonable people read it and say, okay, so basically they're saying they're not employees, they're not going to be paid for playing, it's not pay for play, but you can, you know, profit off of being in a an advertisement for a car dealership, whatever it is, right. then that's all good. But I think there's also a universe where the NCAA interprets this kind of thing as you are allowed to profit off your name, name, image, and likeness just like any other student would, except that you can't do it under the guise of being a football player, for instance. So I think I think Brady McCullough of the LA Times did a really good job of of tweeting a lot of things today when this came out to like hold your role on what this means. So he retweeted one person, uh, Tim uh, Nevis or whatever his name is. Hey, there are no new NCAA rules uh, or even proposals to change name and likeness rules today. Board voted to, quote, consider updates to rules as a PR stunt to suggest progress. Nothing has happened. Athletes won't have a right to profit until the NCAA is forced by law, which is kind of what what the uh, well, the thing is, even the 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 Senate, the California senator who wrote the law in California that uh, that that prompted this whole thing. Uh, she said, what does the NCAA mean by consistent with the collegiate model? Uh, you know, that that is the thing that I think is giving anyone who's skeptical about this pause, because in the statement that the NCAA put out, they, they talk about name, image, name, image and likeness that is consistent with the collegiate model. Well, what what does that even mean? Like, what are the clarifications of that? Because I don't know. I just I don't trust the NCAA as far as I could throw them. So I'm not really doing a victory lap yet on this. Yeah, I'm I'm more optimistic. I, I think everything will will get worked out at some point, whether that's in 2023 or not. When when the California law goes into effect, I think everything everything's moving that way. The, the NCAA might drag their feet, but I think at some point they're going to have to 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 look into it to finalize these kind of things, uh, and then we can get freaking NCAA football 23, baby. That's what I want. That's all. Well, I want. that's that's fair. As much as I, mean, I, I, I have... want the athletes to be able to. Profit, profit of off of themselves, but I also want. But the mostly, video game. we just want that video game back. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I'm happy to to buy a video game for sixty bucks and have some of that money go to you know the athletes out there. So, but by the way, uh, I loved the the tweet that Andy Staples got. That was like, oh great, now that game's gonna cost two hundred fifty dollars because it's gotta pay all the players. <laughs> and he responded, like, "You realize, like the NBA game." Has players that are worth way more than these college players, yeah. and it's still not two hundred and fifty bucks. Exactly, Madden isn't two hundred fifty bucks either. Like, right? Jeez, no. Uh, the worst response to this was from uh, Richard was Burr. I've got it. Richard up. Burr. Yeah, let me get to it. So, U.S. Senator from North Carolina, Richard Burr, uh, puts on Twitter: If college athletes are going to make money off their likeness while in school, their scholarship should be treated like income. I'll be introducing legislation that subjects scholarships given to athletes who choose to, quote, cash in to income taxes. Just tone deaf. The ultimate wet blanket. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I I love some of the responses to it. Like, who peed in your cereal (laughs) or in your cornflakes, whatever. Like, no, the the, the thing that I, I just find hilarious is like the whole name, image and likeness thing. Uh, besides finally being able to see allow players to profit uh, it, for essentially playing a game that is a million dollar business, billion dollar bu- billion uh, industry, dollar. yes, billions yeah. of dollars uh, in terms of an industry. At the same point, it just gives them the rights that every other student has. 
uh, if you are, if I'm an, I went to art school. If I created art and sold that art, I could make money on the art, and it didn't change my status at school at all. Not not in in the slightest. Well, but, yet if business- I, but yet an athlete would have that problem, right? And so the I think walk-on that, like, basketball player who was running yeah. a million-dollar hedge fund, like right, he's a business student. He's allowed to yeah. do that, and and he's allowed to use his name, image, and likeness if if for some reason uh, somebody wanted to use him as an endorsement or whatever, right? And so it, the same rules apply to the regular students, and hopefully, eventually, uh, to the athletes here. And so this is why I think from this thing from Richard Burr is so stupid because. If you want to pass that legislation, you got to be willing to say all all scholarships, yeah. athletic and academic. Go yeah. ahead, try to pass that because it's never going to yeah. pass in a million years. Again, just just real real dumb, real dumb. But the, ul- I the do, ultimate wet blanket. Yeah, yeah. I, I do want to to say that I think you're right about the NCAA is going to have to come to terms with this. This is this is where this is. This is inevitable. You know, the NCAA is going to have to get there. I just expect them to have to be dragged, kicking and screaming a lot more uh, than just the easy like, hey, we all get NCAA uh, football. Let's let's party. I think it's it's going to be a more strenuous process than that. We'll, we'll see how long it takes. Hopefully not too long. So that way we can uh, get in there and start running some some triple option on the. Uh, hey, you know, the, the USC fan base. The USC fan base might be a lot happier if they could sort of live out their dreams about, you know, the 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 offense or the defense that they wish they saw from USC in digital form. There you go. Yeah, indeed. And then you could create some awful jerseys again. Well, yeah, I mean, could play around with that. Since you created those jerseys, they've gone viral for like years now. Okay, to explain those jerseys, the black jerseys. I tried to do my level best to create as good a black jersey as possible for USC, and I came away... And what year was this? Like 2008, nine? When was it? It had to have been. It had to have been 2008 or nine. Uh, maybe maybe as late as 2010, but uh, it, it was still like the kind of thing where I came away saying, none of these are better than what USC currently wears, so what even is the point? That's fair. That that is. Did fair. you see? I I don't know if the picture ever sent because oh, the, my the, the TCU jerseys. Oh no! Okay, no, the TCU jerseys were the worst things that I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. Like those are legitimately the ugliest uniforms that yeah, I've ever they, worn in college they, football. They were they were they were really bad. Yeah, yeah. Are you gonna tell but me about no. ASU's jerseys? I didn't like them. Well, I loved ASU's jerseys, but this is this is an aside. Uh, at the uh, Arizona game, I sent you and I think the THT group. A, a Twitter DM that I don't know if it yes, went through because I, I saw that the black the one. Jersey foul the black yes. one with it was a it was a red USC Jersey with no 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 it was a black what, what was it it was a, a a red USC Jersey with black like the 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 yellow the gold accents that norm, USC normally has was they were in in red and then they had like it was it gold was atrocious. piping it, it was, was awful it atrocious. was awful. I, I've never seen that jersey before. It was awful. But, you know, reminder that the alternates that you can conceive of, most of them are bad. Yeah. I, we, we've said it for years. If, you, if, if SC's going to wear an alternate, it needs to be a throwback to the to the Robinson stripes. Um, and you can update those Robinson stripes a little bit. 
Uh, yeah. But but they need to be a throwback to that. And also, if SC ever wore a black jersey, put them on the Robinson stripe jersey. Because then you could bring some cardinal gold into it. Yeah, yeah. Just saying. I gotcha. Even though we're losing listeners talking about black jerseys. So we're going to come back and talk about USC and Colorado. Uh, look back at the game with a little bit more clarity. We'll be right back. All right, Alicia, let's get into USC and Colorado. The Trojans win 35-31, the first uh, 10-point fourth-quarter comeback since the Rose Bowl of 2017. I want to say, as Dave mentioned in the uh, the rant line, something like the, the first one on the road since 92 or whatever it was. So big win for USA, especially in the fourth quarter. Uh, but obviously an extremely frustrating game. Uh, I, I put on Twitter, and we talked about this in the CarCast, this was a game that SC had no business winning and a game that had no business losing at the same time. Uh, and in, inexcusable for them to be down by 10, uh, but they did show resilience in the end. Uh, we ha- hashed it out in the, in the car cast. You said that this team is mediocre. I said this team is medium because if you just say mediocre, I think you you lose the context of the highs and the lows uh, because I think that the highs and the lows are both worth discussing. And you just said that this mediocre, just average. Uh, now that you've seen the game again, what are your thoughts? Um. Oh, okay. My thoughts are... Um... USC's can we both agree that USC's defense is mediocre? Oh, the defense was bad. Yeah. Okay. And and like I, like I told you in the car cast, like if there's anything that's consistent about this defense about this team, it's the defense. Uh I I do th- again, it's remarkable that no matter what this defense does, they're never going to give up more than like 30, 31 points, no matter how bad they are, <laughs> and they were genuinely <laughs> awful. God yes. awful. Yes. They still only gave up 31 points and I can't explain it. Yeah. I, I, I have no idea how that happened. So to, the, to, the to most their, concerning their, thing, their credit, they're super consistent that way, but no, this yes. was the worst defensive performance of the year. And in a Easily. long time, really. Yeah. Um, the, the most concerning thing about the defensive performance is how poorly the defensive line played. Yeah. And it would be one thing if it was just, oh, look at all the injuries. Uh, they couldn't cope. But they coped against Arizona. Like, granted, Arizona, ugh, their offensive line is very bad. But Arizona's run game is better than Colorado's. Right. But Arizona's they, they offensive have, line is... T- uh, Taylor. Like, Taylor is legitimately a threat. Um, right. But J.J. Taylor with a porous offensive line sure. can only do so much. But and that is JJ the one Taylor thing that Colorado's... Keep you, keep you up at night more than Alex Fontenot. Absolutely, but Colorado's often put JJ Taylor behind Colorado's offensive line, but and you're having a whole different Colorado's conversation. Colorado's offensive line isn't that great either. But that's okay. You are making my point for me. No, Thank I know, you. I know, I know. Colorado's offensive line is significantly better than Arizona's, but they're still not good. They're still not even close to Oregon's. And this is the concern: is that USC's defensive line was getting mauled by Colorado's offensive line. Uh, it, it's one thing for USC to go up against Arizona and have that game plan where they totally maintain their 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 lanes they take care of the edges and they sack the quarterback seven times that's great that's what you want to see against a bad offensive line but the moment they go up against a slightly competent offensive line they get pushed around and that is a huge 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 problem because usc is going to be going up against a far more than competent offensive line oregon has one of the best of what was it four of the offensive linemen for oregon 
were in the uh, Pac-12 team of the week this week from from Pro Football Focus. Like Colorado's offensive line, I mean, uh, um, Oregon's offensive line is no joke. And if you're looking at the performance against Colorado, uh, USC's interior guys, J. Tufele, Marlon Tupelotu, were getting blown back. And Alex Fontenot was getting four or five yards a carry. And those were all line yards, you know, like well, line if you yards look at being the opportunity rate. Seventy three percent for Colorado. Seventy three percent of the runs went five yards. That's horrendous. And that isn't the offense. That isn't USC's defense getting beat on the edges, which, right. by the way, they were. Well, just to throw but, this in here, the national average, 46 percent. Colorado yeah. was at 73. Oof. Yeah, not 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 good. And that was the problem is it's a combination of all of it. It's a combination of uh, USC being able to, unable to contain the edge, which is a problem they've had for a long time. And they had it solved against Arizona and whatever it is that they were doing against Colorado. We've had this discussion, though, isn't it? Like where we don't understand why USC is so afraid of Khalil Tate that they're able to take care of that business when they play him. But then when they go up against Steven Montez, who is a very capable runner in, in himself, Ian Book, a capable runner, uh, uh, Jorge Reina, a capable runner. They're just whatever it is, the mindset, the scheme, the game plan, whatever it is, it's all wrong. But it wasn't just that. It was it was the execution, because uh, I think USC's defenders on the edge weren't doing a good job of containing the edge. USC's interior defensive line wasn't wasn't winning their battles. Um, USC wasn't getting any pressure at all on Steven Montez. and. I mean, the alternate universe where Steven Montez doesn't get hit and doesn't come out of the game and isn't clearly off in the final stages of this game, it's very interesting to see how it plays out because I came in expecting, in my rewatch, expecting to see, you know what, yeah, Montez wasn't exactly at his best, but USC's defense did something different to shut him down. Honestly, USC's defense did nothing different. It's not like they got pressure. On those final drives, they didn't. It's not like they stopped the run on those final drives. They didn't. Well, I, they 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 uh, changed the coverage up a little bit. I mean, Stephen Montez talked about bit. it after the game. That and I think I mentioned this in the carcast that they were giving one on one coverage, man coverage, especially on Lavisca Chenault, which was why he was able to just eat up SC. But then they went away from that. They went away to more cover two stuff, more cloud coverages. Clancy mentioned well, this, uh, and I, I think that that Clay Helton mentioned this too, but. It was just a little bit too late. Luckily for USC, it wasn't too late in the in the in this grand scheme of things. But it was too late for USC where they should have been making those adjustments. Those adjustments should have came in this in the first half. They shouldn't have come in the second half. Or should you not have had to have made adjustments in the first place? Did USC get arrogant here and think that Lavisca Chenault could be shut down with one on one coverage? My assumption would be that we've talked about this before, but the secondary has played beyond their years, uh, in the sense that we thought that they were going to be the the weak link on this team and they clearly have not been has been the linebackers not the secondary and so I think that they maybe trusted the secondary a little bit too much uh, because Clancy loves to put his his corners on islands well he did that in this game and they faced arguably one of the best wide receivers in the country in LaVisca Chenault now he had not looked that good all season long and so maybe knowing that it's a little bit easier to put them on an island but when he played as well as he did on Friday night, he looked like last year's LaVisca Chenault, uh, and he just completely mauled uh, Isaac Taylor Stewart. So, Well, and it, it, it wasn't 
I mean, to USC's, um, to cut them a little bit of slack, they came into the game with Isaac Taylor Stewart uh, ill, and he clearly looked not right. He wasn't in his normal state. Uh, so, I mean, we can call it arrogance for thinking they could they could get away with having him just blanket, put a blanket on LaVisca Chenault. Um, I don't know if it's arrogance or just short-sightedness or whatever it is that once they realized that ITS was sick, maybe they should have, you know, pivoted before the game began. Maybe they should have had a backup plan or whatever. Uh, I I don't know. Whatever it was, I th- I think that the the coaching staff has to take a good deal of criticism for the way that they came into that game and the way that they approached it. If it took them till the fourth quarter to change up that coverage to do a better job of of keeping Lavisca Chenault uh, contained, but either way, like I think that Steven Montez, he was just flat out missing dudes on those last two drives. Yeah, like it wasn't that USC was covering so well that he had nowhere to go. Do you think it was the hit that that screwed him up? Maybe. I mean, the the one thing that that makes you think it had to have been is two or three times he turns the wrong way. The me- he, he the mesh point is on the wrong side of him with the running back. Like I obviously didn't notice that uh during the the game cuz I didn't have a good vantage point for it, but like they highlighted it on the on the broadcast. Like what is he doing? The running back is on his is his left and he's turning to his right to hand off to nobody and he did it like three times so this is a veteran quarterback maybe the running back is screwing up but he hadn't been screwing up before that hit so i don't know that was weird that was very weird he said he passed all the uh the concussion protocol stuff uh and if he did he did but like i, I do wonder um looking back on it if it maybe he just was, if he was rattled or whatnot, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, either way, SC was able to hold Colorado there in the fourth quarter, allow the offense some opportunity. Let's talk about the offense. Uh, we talked about it in the car cast, and we have debated offline, off air, uh, for days. <laughs> in which yeah. you just went on about how the, the offense was terrible in this game, and... Blah, blah, blah. Mostly because Colorado's defense was so bad. And then I kept telling you, I'm like, the offense didn't, like, the offense's problems were, were critical mistakes. It's not that the offense wasn't good. The offense could not be stopped. And like I said in the carcass, I don't think Colorado's offense could be stopped either. I don't think either defense could make a stop in this game. It was the offenses that stopped themselves. We saw it with Colorado's penalties. And then with SC, we see it with a million critical errors that they had. But the offense wasn't the problem in terms of how they were able to move the ball. They needed to to get more points off of moving the ball, but they were able to move the ball with pretty much ease. Okay, so I concede that point. USC's offense tore Colorado to shreds. Yes. On a play-to-play basis, they right. tore Colorado yards to shreds. especially, 518 yards, yeah. Yes, but the results did not reflect how USC tore Correct. Colorado to Correct. shreds. yeah. Because of those critical errors. Yep. And to to my count, because <laughs> I did this in the rewatch, uh, there were 15 critical errors that USC's offense made. And uh, if you want to find out what all 15 of those were, go listen to the rewatch. But the fact that USC has 15 is a problem. And I point this out in the rewatch. They're coming from all over the place. It's not just the quarterback who, by the way, 
Keaton Slovis is outstanding. Like that was my big takeaway. The big area where I maybe changed my mind a little bit on rewatch was that Keaton Slovis is outstanding. Like Keaton is the dude. And we're, we got a question coming up later on about, uh, you know, the future of the quarterback position for USC. Uh, Keaton is convincing me. Now, granted, Colorado is a bad, 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 bad defense. So you should look good against them, especially when your offensive line is able to give you the time that Keaton Slovis was given. But when Keaton Slovis is, is back there being given time, he can absolutely rip you to shreds because he has his accuracy is great. His arm is great. He can make the throws, but also he his sense of the offense of being able to just be patient and wait out and find a receiver who gets open. Um, to be able to take off and run when he needs to, to be fearless when he does so. Obviously, you wanna you wanna see him tighten up his ball security when he does it. But uh, Graham Harrell made some great points on on uh, Tuesday after practice about uh, you know the the little flip that he does to try and get the ball to to Keenan uh, Kristen that almost results in disaster. Graham Harrell is like, no, dude's just out there trying to make a play. Like you know, you obviously want him to be careful. But you never get mad at him for wanting to go out there and make a play. And I think that's the thing that you come away with with Ke- with Keaton is that he is a playmaker. And it's not in the fly by the seat of your, fa- of your pants kind of uh, way that that someone like Sam Darnold did. But there's a there's an element to it where he just has the it factor of making a play. And that is extremely, extremely, extremely exciting for the future of USC football. The problem that USC has is that so many players make critical errors that prevent you from putting up 45 points in this game, putting up 55 points in this game. And Keaton himself, after practice on Tuesday, said, you know, the the difference between 42 points for us in this game was my interception, which is fair, fair enough. It's a bad throw. Um, He just flat out misses. He shouldn't give the DB that chance. Uh, But... It's not just the interception. It's the two drives after the interception where USC goes three and out or four and out. And those are because Michael Pittman drops a pass and Eric Cromenhoek drops a pass. And, you know, you have a blitz that comes off the edge on a, on a third down that you, that you don't pick up or any one of a thousand different things that, that stifles USC's offense. Those kinds of things prevent you from putting up more than 35 points against the Colorado team that you should be blasting because you do blast them. My concern is you go into the Oregon game, and Oregon's defense is very good. Cal's defense is, well, we thought they were very good. I don't know what they are now, but they're pretty decent. Um, ASU's defense is, is, is decent. Right. And those critical errors, those 15 mistakes, will keep you from scoring 14 points. Right. Against those defenses. Yeah, they, they, they've got to eliminate those, those critical errors. Um, because, yeah, if you take those out, I, I think SC... They hit fifty points in this game. Uh, the, you know the the pick, the 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 OPI, uh, so many of those the the drop by Cromenhoek, like like those things killed off drives. Uh, the the errant pass. Did you did you notice the errant passes from Keaton Slovis over the middle? Just for for about a ten minute stretch, he could not yeah. find Amon Ra over the middle to save his life, and then he there's did. A, there's two two drives where it's just like Keaton. Keaton, what's going on? There's one particular drive <laughs> on my rewatch. I tag it as the uh, the the 
what did I call it? It was something, the Keaton drive or whatever. But I basically in my notes had, it was like three of the five plays were just like, Keaton, what are you doing? <laughs> like just missed, missed pass. It d- doesn't make right. any sense. But but he so, came back. He he came back strong. He, he came to, back to, to finish really well. And, and so credit to him to, to be able to do that. And I think that you know we were talking in the rewatch. I mean, sorry, in the in the uh, in the car cast about it. Uh, and I was talking to a friend offline who says it's not it. It's clutch. It's clutchness. Uh, clutch factor. Being clutch. There it goes. Being clutch. That's I think what it is. I, I don't believe in having it. Uh, to me, I think a player can be clutch. And Keaton Slovis is proving to be clutch. Well, he's he's unflappable is the word that I've I've decided to start using for him. And Graham Harrell highlighted this on Tuesday that he uh, doesn't allow himself to get pressed. So even after throwing the interception, even though USC's down 10 points, he's not out there trying to do too much. He's just running through his reads, doing what he needs to do. And it's that kind of calmness, that kind of unflappability that I think allows you to be clutch. Uh, that allows you to uh, to to go out and treat a must must score drive like it's any other drive where you're just you know going through the motions and and taking care of business. So yeah, I think I think that Keaton does have a little bit of that clutch gene um, where he doesn't let the moment get too big for him. But that's what you know that's what Graham Harrell kind of told us that he thought he had early on, right? He did. He called a shot absolutely. And yeah, I, I want to pull up a stat that I wrote an article. On on com about Keaton Slovis, go read it. Talking about how unprecedented his the beginning of his USC career is for a quarterback, and here's one stat in there: Slovis has thrown five fourth quarter touchdowns on 45 attempts. That's across five games. That's as many as first year starters: 2009 Matt Barkley, 2013 Cody Kessler, and 2018 JT Daniels did on 208 fourth quarter attempts combined. That's three yeah. whole seasons versus 45 attempts in five games for Keaton's well, office, five touchdowns. And those, and those are not seasons where USC was blowing people out and they weren't having to throw the ball in the fourth quarter. Those right. were all seasons yeah. where they were, there were serious struggles for USC. And, uh, and yeah, it just goes to show what he's doing in the fourth quarter. I asked him, you know, what, what is different for you in the fourth quarter? What are you, why are you able to put, put up those numbers? And he just had like the simplest explanation, which is just basically like, well, you know, you've seen the, the defense for three quarters, so you're just a little more comfortable. It's I mean, like, that, well, that's the baseball analogy, isn't it? That hitters are better the third time through the lineup. Yeah. Um, it, 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 it makes sense. It which you think would be obvious. Like you'd think that would be obvious, but so right. many quarterbacks aren't great in the fourth quarter. And I think part of that is his unflappability where – he can just he's at the stage where it's just, OK, I've seen this for three quarters. Now I know where I'm at right. instead of uh, being so panicked about, oh, my gosh, the fourth quarter. I have to do this. I have to do that. Like, you know, that that's what really sets him apart, I think. Well, it's interesting, too, because you look back at Cody Kessler and we always talked about the difference between the Lane Kiffin, Steve Sarkeesian era, particularly, you know, with Cody Kessler at quarterback versus what SC did under uh, Clay Helton. They were able to, they didn't blow leads. Clay Helton, early on in, in his career, did not blow leads as a head coach. Whereas in 2014, SC squandered opportunities at Utah against ASU. They blew leads in which the offense could have put the game without or out of reach if they would have just capitalized on some fourth quarter opportunities. They never did that. Cody Kessler never let a comeback. He was never able to, you know, score in the fourth quarter to really kill off a game when they really needed him to. 
And yet he goes away, in comes Sam Darnold, and that's one thing all of a sudden SC is able to do. They're able to score in the fourth quarter to just kill off a game. They're able to come back if they're down. We saw it against Texas. We saw it against uh, uh, against Penn State, right? You've you've seen that. You saw that trait, and it's like this is so new because Matt Barkley didn't have that. He couldn't. He didn't have comebacks in in, in him uh, outside of the Ohio State game. Uh, Cody Kessler didn't have comebacks, but Sam Darnold was able to do it. And here we are looking at Keaton Slovis and. If nothing else, yes, it's a 10-point comeback to Colorado, and Colorado isn't that good. Colorado's defense is terrible, whatnot. But if nothing else, it shows that he has the ability to do things in the fourth quarter, especially on the road. You look at the three games he's played on the road. Uh, he led SC to 10 points at BYU, and I know that he throws the interception uh, in overtime against BYU, but he leads the, the touchdown drive in that game when the long pass to Michael Pittman to take the lead. Then he leads the, the, the drive at the end of the game for the field goal with with McGrath to tie the game, and then in, at Notre Dame he scores a touchdown or a field goal on every single drive in the second half, including the drive at the end to give an SC one chance with the onside kick, and then you see him come back down from ten points uh, at Colorado. Like for a true freshman, that is a sign of being unflappable. And Clay Helton has talked about it, and Graham Harrell has talked about it. We, we you know in fall camp that. He, he corrects his mistakes. He corrects his mistakes, and we see it from week to week. Uh, the interceptions he was making against BYU, we haven't seen lately. The mistakes that he was making in, against Arizona, he didn't make in this game, right? But also, the mistakes he was making in the first quarter, second quarter, and third quarter, he wasn't making in the fourth quarter, and he's able to make those mista- those adjustments in-game to bounce back, and he kind of has that uh, that amnesia that a cornerback is supposed to have. Or if you get mm-hmm. burned, you, you don't let that just kill your confidence. And Keaton Slovis has this as, as a quarterback, where if he throws an interception, which you saw in the in the in the first half, he didn't let that kill off his game. Like like you know the BYU game, he he was bad for about two quarters after those interceptions because he was a little shaken. He got he got it back in the fourth quarter, but he was he he struggled, and he he's he's correcting those things. The, the same pass that he throws the interception on early in the game is the touchdown pass to Tyler Vons. Yeah, that little out route, um, yeah. I, I, thought it was, I thought it was funny because uh, Graham Harrell seemed to indicate that the Tyler Vons touchdown was not the right read, that, that he shouldn't have put the ball there. Uh, but, you know, he corrects his mistake in that he puts it on the back shoulder properly and he gives his receiver a chance, whereas the first throw, he just puts it way too far inside and he gives the DB the chance, so... That's certain certain improvement. The one thing I want to caution about Keaton, where I, I totally agree with everything you're saying and your analysis of him. I think I've been incredibly impressed with him as a quarterback. I like him a lot. I feel very confident in his future. But in this particular game, you know, we we discussed this on the CarCast. He gets extraordinarily lucky. The two fumbles, Colorado should be kicking themselves because those are right on a platter for them to recover both of those fumbles. USC has no right to recover either one of those, and they do, um, in part because Colorado just doesn't make the play. So Keaton, it's not so much Keaton, but USC is still walking a fine line where those those could have been killer mistakes. Those could have been you-lose-this-game kind of mistakes. And when you have a true freshman quarterback, you like we accept this, right? A true freshman quarterback, as great as he is, is still going to make the occasional mistake where he's not secure with the ball because he hasn't been hit often enough to know, okay, I need to hold on to this stronger or not do this or not do that. If USC 
if the veterans on this team cut out their mistakes, those those fumbles wouldn't have mattered, or he wouldn't have been in position to have to, you know, be in a, be getting hit where he gets where he does and, and ends up fumbling. So for me, it's not so much what Keaton is or isn't doing; it's what the guys around him are doing to make sure that his freshman mistakes don't harm USC. And they got away with it against Colorado, and they didn't get away with it against BYU, but they got away with it. This time around, hey, and it still comes back to what are the veterans doing? Didn't Sam Darnold get away with it against Colorado? Oh, trust me. I <laughs> There are people who think I hate Sam Darnold because I talked about how much he got away with in uh, in 2017. Well, 2016, too. I mean, And 2016, the, the, yeah. The, the Colorado, Colorado game. The, the, the Darius Rogers pass that should have been intercepted. Right. But a veteran that, bails yep. him out, right? That play, he also fumbled. He the he fumbled inside the in, in the red zone that was turned over. He also fumbled uh, the play that uh, that turns into the touchdown to, to Tyler Petit. But Sam Darnold had a those. lot of really bad third quarters that he made up for with great fourth quarters that everyone just remembered how great he was in the thir- in the fourth quarter while forgetting that he put USC in the hole in the first place in the third quarter. And what did Keaton Slovis do? That's I mean, he had a bad third quarter-ish. He had a bad third quarter and came back with a great fourth quarter. Yeah. Just, yeah. So all's well, all's well that ends well. This is true. Uh, I'm just, you know, throwing a little, a little bit of before before we take too much from that performance. Just you just also gotta like remind yourself at every turn. Colorado has the worst defense in the Pac-12. Yes. So <laughs> just you know. Yeah, there, there, there's no design that for sure. SC's gonna face a much better defense. I also this think people don't order. recognize that Colorado's offense is top twenty-five in an S, in so, SP plus. But, but like we talked about it in the in the preview, the problem was that Colorado's offense in the first five games was very good. They yeah. were scoring, you know, between thirty and forty points a week, and they were very good. Montez had a passer rating of, and it was like one hundred and fifty-three or whatever it was. He was very good. It was the last two games that they were atrocious. And so I remember like I didn't I couldn't figure out why they were bad. Uh yeah, they played Oregon, which is a good team, but they shouldn't have been that bad, especially when you look at Oregon's last two games. Oregon has been susceptible to giving up points. So why couldn't Colorado do anything? Uh they had been injured, but it's not like all those guys were just missing games that were a little limited, but because Oregon they has shouldn't a really have been good defense and bad. they were at Otson. Yeah, Washington State just scored 35 points there. Yeah, but, you know, it's weird weirdness. I don't know. The Pac-12, basically, like, the Pac-12 is not the conference to do the comparisons about because... Right, well, that, but that's what know. I'm saying. Like, I, I think the two bad Colorado weeks are more of an, anomaly, of an anomaly than Colorado being good against USC offensively. That said, yes. USC's defense should have been way better because they got yes. lucky. Colorado could have scored 50 points in this game. Yes. Given oh, yeah, how, no, we're, how, we're, how much of a sieve SC was. I don't I don't want to let USC's defense off the hook because, again, my big concern was USC's best players on the interior defensive line were getting worked. They are and who that we is, thought they were. That, that's, well, <laughs> I hope I'm not letting them off the hook right now. No, USC's. Not. Okay, so here's if I want to put a uh, since I was so negative in the car cast, um, if I want to put a silver lining, uh, optimistic Alicia spin on this, if you're going into the Oregon game, top 10 team, and you are, for instance, coming off of 
like compare it to USC losing to BYU. And then the next week they're going to face Utah. <laughs> and you're looking at it and thinking like, okay, so did USC need the kick in the pants to get them to a stage where they were ready to then take on Utah and, and beat them under the circumstances that they beat them on? Maybe if you're USC, you take the Colorado game as the kick in the pants of like, man, we really got to get our stuff together because Oregon's coming to town and this will be really, really tough. Uh, and maybe they take it up another another level. Um, so I guess that's my that's my hopeful analysis. I, I actually think this is a case of optimistic, Alicia. I get what you're saying, but I, I, I don't think that those things apply. I think SC is either up or they're down. They play up and down to their competition. Uh, they, they defy logic. They defy football reasons. And so I think that says more than anything about whether or not they needed a kick in the pants. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The Pac-12 defies logic, so, you know, who knows which Oregon team we're going to see. Hey, who knows which UCLA team SC will see. Oh, I can't even think about that. I am dreading that preview because I don't know how to talk about UCLA. We're going to have to get Jake on the pod because I have no idea what the hell they are. Was last year, last year was a big old, like, I have no idea about this game. And this time, like, is... It's going to be worse this year. Yeah. Good UCLA looks really, really good. Bad UCLA yeah. looks horrendous. How do you how do you process DTR one week to the other? Like, how do you no process idea. UCLA? What UCLA did to ASU? ASU, we all acknowledge, is at worst a decent team. Like, ASU is probably the team that it's easiest to get a handle on in the sense in the Pac-12 in the sense that like they're not great. No one's accusing them of being great, but like they got their stuff together at they're the gonna, very least. Yeah, they're going to be competitive. Yes. And UCLA like they were just 42 took to 10. Them out. Yeah, j- j- just they threw them around like a rag doll and it's like what? 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 I don't. I don't know. It's yeah. This conference is so freaking dumb. This, co- this conference, man. This con- this is, co- at this stage, so at this stage with the the Pac-12 being what it is, like I would almost guarantee a USC win over Oregon just because don't something's gonna. <laughs> let's allow let's allow the listeners to come back tomorrow to listen to the Oregon right. preview. Okay. Just say. We'll be right back though to talk over under. We'll be right back. So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I'll go under. I got to take an under here. I got three unders to take. I'm going to do an under here. All right, Alicia, this is a good over-under segment. It's going to be beautiful, be gorgeous. Uh, we talked about it last week. We were conflicting on every every single over-under. You took one. I took the other. We did not agree on anything. It is a true over-under. Our, our uh, over-under fan, Jake, is going to be like, he must have been loving it. We we didn't agree on anything. Going into the into last week, I had a one game deficit to you. You were twenty nine and twenty one. I was twenty eight and twenty two. I was needing a good week to get things back rolling for me. First over under was over under point five plus point five of a turnover margin for USC. You said over. I said under. It was under negative one. USC did not force a turnover, but Keaton Slovis threw an interception. I got cocky about USC starting a streak of turnover margin wins and 
Yeah, that's my bad. Moving on, next one, I said over under 10.5 Nate Landman tackles. He had been averaging 10.57 a game and was 8th nationally going into this game in tackles. You said over, I said under, Alicia, it was under with 7. I'm I'm so mad at myself. I'm so mad at myself because I reasoned out why it would be the under. And then for some brain farty reason, I said over. Like, that's so dumb. I, d- I don't know what I was thinking. You were thinking, how do I get Michael more points in this? <laughs> it is glorious. Glorious. Yeah. Let's just keep yeah. going here. Uh, next one, you said over under two and a half sacks for USC. Uh, you said over for some reason, even though Colorado had only allowed nine all season. I said under and it was under with one. USC letting me down. Letting me down. How do you feel? How do you feel right now? Not good. Not, Not good. good. Oh, for the first three, just to keep people up to date if you're listening at home. I'm starting to feel less sad about my, less less guilty about my rant about how mediocre <laughs> this team is. Next one, I said over, uh, this is, might be my favorite. Uh, next one, I said over under 49.5% on third down conversions for USC. Colorado's defense was allowing 53.9 on third this down. This is... You said under 49.5. I said over. Alicia, it was right at 50%. This some BS. Oh, it's so beautiful. So freaking beautiful. And then here's another favorite of mine. Uh, you said over or under 39.5 points for USC because Colorado was averaging, allowing 34.9. Uh, but you... You said that SC was definitely going to score 40, so you took the over at 39 and a half. And I said, I I don't know if you remember this. I said all of the non-football reasons, the, you know, sloppy games on a Friday, uh, short week, um, you know, it's a trap game, looking forward to Oregon. All those things were going to be potentially reasons why SC wouldn't play that well on offense and and not score uh, 40 points. So I took the under. SC scored 35. You gave me that under. Yeah, USC let me down. I, so USC let me down. If you're, you you want to keep tally here. You know what? You we've know done what allowed five me? over-unders, and I've gotten all five correct. You've gotten all five wrong. You know what allowed me to take the lead in over-under in the first place? When I went super pessimistic. Here, I go optimistic, and I get burned for it. So, lesson learned. There you go. Oh, we can skip the last one if you want to skip the last one. Uh, let's talk about Dominic Davis touches, Michael. Who told you that Dom Davis wasn't going to get any touches? Who okay, so the, I'm the, really the, upset about this. The plan was this. never okay, to have him get on, touches. Hold on. So the, it was over under 0.5 Dominic Davis touches. You took the under. I took the over. It was zero. You get the point there. Five and one is my over under win this week. But I want to talk about Dominic Davis here because I freaking would have had it. If they wouldn't have screwed up and taken him off the field. So the the slip screen in the fourth quarter on the, one of the drives that fails, it is a terrible slip screen. But Awful. Dominic Davis is in the backfield to run that play. And Do you they're think like, they're wait actually going to... Wait a minute. Get off the field. Throw in Keaton Kristen out there. I, I See, I don't think there's any guarantee that he actually that they actually would have done that play. They would have been better off with Dominic Davis in the game. And not running Alicia, that play. Let me have this, please. Let, let, no. let me let me let you me have, have this hang bitterness. On. 
Hang on, you had five over-unders that you got right. Let let me have this. Get out of here. <laughs> Get out. Would you trade? Let's trade one Dominic Davis touch for your five wins in over-under this week. Mm. Would I trade being top of the table or Christian Pulisic having a hat trick? Hmm. Yeah, real real talk. I don't know. He, he's my god. That's the, that's that's the yeah. And sorry, we're not going to talk about soccer here. The point is, <laughs> Dominic Davis. This game, maybe we'll see. We might have to bring it out every week until it happens. Uh, hey, good he, luck with that. He, I I talked to Shotgun Spratling in the, in the press box, and we were talking about this, and he's like, "So if Dominic Davis fields a a kickoff, is that going to count for the over under?" I'm like, "Yeah, that would be a touch. Would be a touch." Yeah, that that was your best bet for getting a touch there. Mm-hmm. Could have happened. Could have happened. Uh, anyways, getting the game predictions. You said uh, forty-four to twenty-two. Vegas had SC by twelve and a half, but you said forty-four twenty-two. I said USC thirty-eight, Colorado twenty-four. I was the closest, but still really off here. Uh, Colorado covers the the Vegas spread. Uh, SC only scores thirty-five. Colorado scores up to thirty-one. Yep. Let's get into pick 'em. Uh, this not only was over under beautiful, but let's just get into pick 'em here. Uh, oh Lord. In Pick'em, you went 9-8, and eight, tied for ninth. By the way, th- this is how terrible the Pick'em League was for people. You went 9-8 and eight and finished ninth. <laughs> it was ninth. Yeah. Uh, I went 12-5, and five, tied for first, baby. Me and Favors Picks, tied for first. I think, I think you sold, you did like a reverse selling your soul where you, you got all of this Dominic Davis hype. And it didn't follow through, but the universe, you know, kicked you something back by giving you these wins. They did. They absolutely did. Uh, to date, I am 12th with a record of 116 and 74. You are 54th at 99.91. Not very good. Uh, let's talk about the leaderboard to date. Uh, in Tantar, number one, uh, with a record of 125 and 65. Kangaroo 30 is at 123 and 67 in second place. Warhop Way is in third place at 122 and 68, and the Labrantar Pitbulls uh, round out the top four at number four with a record of 120 and 70. Yeah, better pickers than me or you. I was number one last week. What are you talking about? You're you're not in that group overall. I don't see you. You're 54th. You have no grounds for discussing uh, anything. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, you know, touting myself or anything like that. Clearly, I mean, how could you? How could you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, let's get to the next segment, which will be all pro Alicia and Michael is trash conversation. The mailbag. <laughs> we'll be right back. You've got mail. All right, Alicia, let's start with a message we got from L.A. Fred. Hey, Raina Troy, this is L.A. Fred. Time to open up the win rant line yet again. This game was, as you guys have been calling for all year, I think the perfect Big 12 bad game. It was entertaining. It was frustrating. It was a typical USC win. I'm going to call this a win-win situation for us all. First of all, USC wins, which is always good, but there was enough crappiness from a Helton Pendergast team to keep the fire clay and clampy smoke going strong as ever. That's the perfect win-win situation. Can we just enjoy that for the night, Rockbots? Great start to the weekend. Beat the Ducks. Fight on, everybody. 
Thanks for the call, Fred. Uh, I was going to put this in the rant line, and I know you wanted it in the rant line probably, but I, I just I wanted to t- discuss it because this, yeah, it was Big 12 bad. We talked all this time about just make this team Big 12 bad. They were Big 12 bad. I don't count 35 points as Big 12 bad. Oh, are you gonna see it needed to be 45-41? Yes, precisely. Okay. That's fair. Um, yeah, and it, obviously the, the game is incredibly frustrating. I'm not taking anything, you know, I'm not trying to sugarcoat it here, but it is interesting that it was the most Big 12 bad of any game that SC's played all year. Because it, right. it, it, it was a shootout. It's the closest thing to a shootout SC has played. Right, right. I <laughs> I think it would be it would be interesting to relive this game if I had watched it from home uh, and sort of had a different experience of the game or even just watching it from the press. You're box. like a different person after Colorado. Like it really took some life out of you. It really did. It really did. I had to like <laughs> on, uh, on, on, I think it was, it was either Sunday or Monday top Trojan fan in the, it had to have been Monday. Cause I was still doing my rewatch. In the Slack channel, Top Trojan fan told me that I needed to, uh, I sound, I, he was like, Alicia, you sound like you're stressed. <laughs> it made me pause and think like, oh, yeah, I think maybe I'm still a little, you were bouldered? you know, wound a little, wound a little, t- I'm bold, I was bouldered. Yeah, yeah. So I've been, I've been doing my level best to, uh, you know, you know, just take some tension out of my shoulders and chill out a little bit. Deep breaths. Deep breath. Yeah. Uh, let's go to a voicemail we got from Cameron. Brandon Troy, Cameron from Frisco, Texas. Um, it's been a few days since the uh, cover behind victory for USC Colorado. Uh, first of all, I want to say, Alicia, you did an amazing job on your rant during the car cast. It was unbelievable. That's literally how I felt the whole entire time during and after the game. I am frustrated. I am pissed about this team. We deserved to lose. I was hoping we were going to lose. I was hoping that the 13-win streak, undefeated streak against Colorado would finally get snapped and that it would be on Clay Helton's head that he snapped that streak. Same thing with Cal last year. I was just hoping that it would finally end, that we finally would get some sort of clarity that this team is not just medium, mediocre, blah, meh. I was just hoping they would just be bad. But you know what? Frick. Why did they have to freaking win? Like, why? Why did Michael Pittman have to go right down the last drive? And why did Keen Silver have to be clutch? I don't think Keen Silver is that doesn't have the if factor yet, because if he did have the if factor, he would have beat BYU in overtime. So I can't debate about that, um, that Keen Silver does not have the if factor. Also, um, this team, the whole debate between is this team medium, is this team mediocre? You know what? They're both. They are both. 100%. You're both right. They're mediocre. They're medium. They're blah. They're meh. That's who they are. And we just got to deal with it. Plus, oh, don't even get me started on this defense. First of all, Clancy Tiger got the defensive scheme. is a complete abomination to college football. Like, how can you give up 520 yards and still find a way to somehow win or only give up 31 points? It's freaking ridiculous. Um, first of all, oh, it was just bad. Oh, I, Clancy Tiger got just needs to go. He and Jim Harbaugh just need to take a round-trip ticket to Cleveland and try to help slash um, keep the losing streak alive for the Cleveland Browns. Because you know what? That's what Clancy Prendergast belongs to. He belongs with Cleveland. Be with the Browns. Go have fun with them and go stir up some more drama with Jim Harbaugh like you did in San Francisco. Um, besides that, well, we have another week 
we have Oregon. Hopefully, we're going to get more clarity. Hopefully, we're, whatever happens, happens, and we either get one step closer to a, to a Pac-12 South, South Division championship or just get annihilated by a top-10 opponent, you know? So, good, let's good luck, fight on, fight out, and beat the Ducks. Alicia, can you tell it all? Was was he a little fired up? Just a little bit. Just a little bit. I, I, I find it very relatable because I was pretty fired up in the car cast. And uh, yeah, he's pretty fired up on the on the rant line. So I think my favorite part is that message came in on Tuesday, literally <laughs> while I was downloading all of the rants. So I nearly answered the call just to, to, to be funny. Yeah, uh, we got to keep the robots on their toes. <laughs> I know it would have been fun, but he, it came in on Tuesday and he was still fired up about it. Still fired up about the game. I love that passion. I, I feel it. I feel it. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to process this team anymore. Like I'm trying to take your advice of like, be dead inside and don't get riled up. But also, well, well, well hold on. We're gonna get to emails and voicemails about. Yeah, don't take my advice. So maybe you don't want to do that yet. Well, <laughs> I have thoughts and opinions on those um but uh i I don't know i don't know it's it's frustrating it's very there's a lot of reasons to be really frustrating and uh, frustrated and unhappy with this team um yeah i i wish i could have watched that game like la fred did i think i watched that game like cameron did that's fair. I think that's a good way of, of, of looking at it. Those, those two calls, I, I put them at the beginning because I thought that they contrasted nicely. Yeah. And, and so I think that's a that's a good assessment there. Uh, let's go to an email we got from Mark in Fresno. I listened to your latest car cast after the Colorado win uh, on my way to work. I took two things away from it. Number one, Alicia, you are completely right. And number two, Michael is the Clay Helton of podcasts. I had chest pains by the time I got to work. I can't listen to Clay Helton pressers anymore. They make me physically ill, and Michael sounds just like him. Nothing but excuses. I may have listened to my last car cast. My God, in all caps. Mark in Fresno. Uh, thanks for writing in, Mark. Um, I'm trash. If, I get it. I, it's, it's fine. If, if by saying that Michael is the Clay Helton of podcasts, you are saying that uh, Michael is a wonderful human being who was well liked by everyone who knows him. No, uh, not really. No, you're and not really. Well respected by uh, everyone who on. knows you're, him. You're, you're going to say I'm a Rose Bowl winner? Is that what you're going to say? And is, a, and is a Rose Bowl winner? <laughs> yeah. Um, then, then yes, I agree. Uh, I, uh, I mean, all right. Let's, let's go. To, got, let's, hold on. Let's go to okay. a voicemail from we got from Ray. Yeah. Hey, this is Ray from Florida. Number one, Alicia, I love you. You are so, so right on the mark about this team and this game. It was a disgrace. The tackling, the inconsistency. You hit every point right in the head. Michael, get the hell over yourself. You are such an apologist, it's not funny. Listen to your co-host there. She's got, she's got it right on the money. Fight on. All right. So I, I cut you off there because the, this call and the last email were, were pretty much the same. So I figured we'd have the same discussion about both, <laughs> which is that I suck. I get it. I am terrible. That I'm the no, Clay like, Hilton of podcasts and I didn't get over myself. We just dis- we discussed this uh, after the Washington game that I think that people are misinterpreting 
your um the okay so let, let's put it this way i got home on uh i i ended up taking the flyaway from lax to uh, van nuys and then i went to my folks place and ended up sleeping there for several hours before i went home home and uh when i woke up in the late afternoon uh, i got a chance to sit down on the couch and, and have a chat with my dad and the first thing my dad said to me was hey negative nancy so he didn't go with gloomy gus but he did go with negative <laughs> nancy and um i i had a conversation with him about the game and about where i was coming from in, in the car cast but like he agreed with you more. And I literally told my dad, like, Michael is right about this. I'm just being irrationally ang- angry. And uh, uh, I think Alex or somebody pointed out that, like, the, the line that I'd forgotten in the car cast, which is like, I, 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 all I have left is my anger. I think that's where a lot of people are coming from. And, like, so I don't think, <laughs> I think that people are, need to focus their anger at something. And their frustration at something and you then become an easy target because you are presenting the rational, reasonable, logical sort of uh, perspective on everything where it's just a lot more gratifying to just yell and rage. And so I get to do the raging and uh, that's why, you know, people enjoy the raging. But like, if I'm being honest, like you're right about this, which you know, you can save that as a drop or whatever if you need to. But Michael was right. Michael was right. Michael was right. Yeah, yeah. I can do that drop. Yeah. No, no. I like. I get it. I'm. I'm trash. Yourself, I'm horrible. No one wants to listen to me. I'm horrendous. People listen for to you. They don't listen to me. They skip through any, anything I say. They they want to listen to you. We hear it all the time. Uh, we get tweets. Well, we do not tweets. hear that all the time. I get, for the, I get for the tweets record. saying to me to not be on the podcast anymore, and they love you. I get it. I'm okay with it. It really doesn't bother me. Now, what I will it say... It me. Screw that. <laughs> what what I will say is, I so I've talked about how, you know, I, I've explained it, that I've gone, to, I've had the perspective that, you know, change is coming, and so, change is coming, so why are you worried about any of this stuff? We know what this team is, that if we can sit here and say that this team is what they are, and that they're they're predictable for being unpredictable and they're they're consistently inconsistent and they do these same things over and over and over again then why are you getting emotionally bent out of shape because you know what this team is i've said that that's my stance over and over and over again that people are taking that as being an apologist that's not remotely an apologist because i've said very clearly change is needed the reason i i'm I'm having this this perspective is because of change is needed and so I'm, i'm over it but I, I, I wanted to explain it a new way for people who may not still understand uh, or just can't stand me. That's fine, too. Uh, the way I look at it, and we had this discussion uh, offline a bunch the last couple of days. I think SC season 100% will end good for USC fans. 100%. Why? Because two things are gonna ha- one of two things are going to happen. They're going to win the Rose Bowl or Clay Helton's getting fired. If you are a USC fan who wants change, you might get that. If you're a USC fan who wants to win, you might get that. And if you're any USC fan, like, how can you not, how, how can you not cheer on going to the Rose Bowl? Like, like if you're going to keep Clay Helton, 
you might as well keep him only if he goes to the Rose Bowl, right? And and I, again, I'm saying that there should be change. I'm not saying that 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 he should be kept long term and extended. Or, I'm not saying that I'm championing him at all. What I'm saying is, either this team is going to bottom out and Clay Helton's going to be fired, or everything's going to come together and they're going to win the Rose Bowl. And if you can't enjoy that, then again, why are you a fan? So. It, to me, it's a win-win situation. I don't understand see, getting emotionally bent out of shape every week. See, I think I get emotionally bent out of shape each week because I don't see it as black and white. I don't see it as just those two possibilities. I see all the shades of gray in between, and they all sound miserable to me because I think there is a possibility. There is a scenario where USC goes to the Rose Bowl and loses in a fashion that uh, they did the, the Cotton Bowl. We're right back where we were at the end of the 2017 season. I think there's a scenario where USC goes to the Pac-12 title game and loses and the AD comes in and doesn't understand where the program is as far as the confidence that people have in the program and gives Clay Helton another shot because his resume is rather good on paper. Um, I think there's a lot of scenarios that result in not good things for USC where it's not all just you know, happy-go-lucky winning and or uh, happy-go-lucky happy go lucky winning or Clay Hilton's gone. Like, that's where I think I worry. And I think that's the the anger, frustration and all of that that people are presenting right now. I think that's where it comes from. This nagging feeling in the back of my head that 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 the resolution is not going to come, that we're going to continue to be stuck in this purgatory where USC is pulling off comeback wins against the likes of Colorado and we're supposed to celebrate it. Like that's, that's I, where I, I'm at. I get that. I just don't know how that comes to be. Cause like you, you mentioned like the, the cotton bowl again, if the cotton bowl happens again, then there to me, there's one of two alternatives. Either you can look at it and say, Hey, they went to the Rose bowl. They kept the streak alive. How cool is that? Um, or you can say that it's a fireable offense for, for Clay Hilton again, because if, if that is it, that, I think it very well could be, yeah. You're you're a new AD, and your head coach just won the Pac-12 Again, and got new, to the Rose You're Bowl. a new AD who got hired to make changes. You got hired to make changes. I just, you, you I just don't think you're it's not that getting, cut not, and dry. You're not getting hired to sit on your hands. Yeah, but you have a buyout to contend with, and you have a head coach who just won the Pac-12. Yeah, and it's one less season to deal with that buyout, isn't it? <sighs> I wish I had your certainty. I just I just don't think it's that cut and dry. I don't think it is at all. Just like last year, I set out all the ways that Lin Swan could talk himself into keeping Clay Helton, and that's how it played out. Right, but I think that, like, that that's, that's where the, I'm at right now. That's the year where he got the benefit of the doubt, Clay Helton. I don't think this is the year he gets the benefit of the doubt. I think a new AD could if if a new AD comes in and in four seasons Clay Helton has won the Pac-12 twice. They're they're not hiring a USC with USC connections. I mean, they're not hiring an AD with well, USC. Well, but that's my problem. Again, we've had the conversation. Who doesn't get the vitriol that's, the, that's the, put towards the outside Clay people? Helton? Yes, I it's get the it. outside people. They don't understand why people are so anti-Helton. So if you get somebody who's not a USC connection, they come in clean slate, and all they can see is, "Wow, Clay Helton has won so and so many games, and he's he's a great guy that uh, that, that right. that's not an embarrassment for the program personally, and uh, he's you know won two Pac 12s in four years. I, and yeah, he had that dip yeah. in 2018, but. I get that. I, I just think I, I hear there are very saying. easy ways to rationalize this. No, I agree. But I think the difference is, again, this AD is being hired to make changes because of everything that's happened. Because of of everything that's happened over the last several years, 
in not just football. So the AD is coming yeah, in to, to make a big impact. But I let's don't get, think the AD. I think the AD is coming in to make changes, but that have to do with the scandals that USC has faced. Clay Hilton is not part of any of those scandals. That's fair. That, that, that's fair. So that's fair. Yeah. Uh, let's get to an email we got from David. Hey guys, listen to the Carcast after watching the game, and Michael's uh, terrible, and Alicia is great. Uh, no, he didn't say that. <laughs> I mean, he, he might have. Like, he what are deleted you those and wrote other words. Read in between the lines, jeez. Uh, no, uh, he said, "Hey guys, listen to the Carcast after watching the game, and totally feel Alicia's frustration." Anyone who's watched, been watching USC for the last several years, knew this was going to be a game in which they could u- lose. I saw this coming after the struggle last week against Arizona. The offense struggled to get first downs against a terrible Colorado defense. And don't get me started on the tackling by the defense. Should we even say that USC attempts to tackle these days? Seriously, what are they doing in practice? But as Michael said, and as we all knew, they just needed to win this game to move on to next week to play Oregon. I honestly believe that USC has a better chance of beating Oregon compared to ASU the following week. ASU has a bye week before USC, and the game will be played in Tempe. Not to mention USC is coming off of a high emotional game against Oregon. The fact of the matter is, as everyone has said, this team is utterly inconsistent. They can beat anyone on the schedule, but they can also lose to anyone on the schedule. As Alicia said, even if they win the Pac-12 this season, it doesn't prove anything. We know who this team is. We have for a long time now in the Helton era. A team that plays down to their opponent and relies on their talented skill players to disguise their failures. David from San Diego. Spot on, David from San Diego. Yep. I have nothing to add. No, I think you nailed it 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I think if we don't say anything, I think that's the ultimate compliment, right? Yeah, I I, I literally have, I, I he said it all, and he said it as well as it can be said. I, I, I can't expound on it at all. Yeah. Spot on. Exactly. Uh, let's move on to an email we got from George in Texas. Uh, in defense of USC versus Colorado. Pac-12 road teams have a 13% chance of winning a Friday night road game. SC was down 10 players who would have started uh, if healthy. If you count JT, that's 11. Half of a starting 22. On your car cast, you said Colorado's defense was trash, but only Oregon and Washington State have scored more points on Colorado, and both did it in home games. Friday night road games are where teams go to die. Just ask Utah. P.S. Michael is right. None of it matters. Helton will not be retained. Enjoy every win. PPS. Oh, yes. Medium. This is my favorite email of all time. <laughs> Surprised you didn't plug in the Michael is right. Michael is right. That was legitness. Yeah, it was. Michael was right. Michael was right. Michael was right. There you go. <laughs> that was legitness. Yeah. Um, thanks for the email, George. Uh, the one thing I, I I think he's it is all fair points, all completely fair points. I have I have no real arguments with them. Uh, with the points. The one thing I, I do want to push back on is the injury thing. I don't want to discount the injury thing because it's definitely a thing, but I think that the injuries would play more, like they they would play higher in my psyche as far as why the team is the way they are if this wasn't the same team that we already, like if this wasn't, already the team that we knew like so it wasn't it, it's not like usc was like rolling and all of a sudden like man they just sort of dropped off a cliff like no like this is this is the same situation um the offense makes critical errors we we knew this the defense 
struggles with tackling. We we knew this. The defense struggles with mobile quarterbacks. We knew this. The defense struggles with running on the perimeter. We knew this. So, like, I don't think it was the injuries so much that that defined the game. Certainly not the defensive performance because we saw USC struggle with Ian Ateote in there. We saw USC struggle at times with we, USC hasn't gotten a lot of pressure on the quarterback even with Drake Jackson in there. Christian Rector, we saw what he looked like against Notre Dame. It was a disaster. So, you know, I I think the, the closest thing you can say is Isaac Taylor Stewart struggled with LaVisca Chenault. Maybe Chris Steele has a better chance with against him. I don't, I don't know. But well, ITS was in dealing general, with, the, I, with the illness. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and that's where I think you can you can certainly say that the health issues played an impact, but I don't think it was a big enough impact to sort of write it all off as this is just the health issues. And right. and certainly on offense, I don't think you know, USC not being without Vi Malapai and Stephen Carr and Marquis Stepp certainly hurts. But it's not like USC was like relying on their run game the way they could have been in the first place. I don't think we talked about the offensive lines. Talk about Liam Jimmons. What was your what was your thought about Liam Jimmons? I thought USC's offensive line in general was very very good um, across Until the, the whole game. Quarter, though. I thought that they they struggled in the fourth quarter when Colorado brought more more blitzes that were a little bit different kind of blitzes up there. Um, they're blitzing on the right side. There was a drive in the fourth quarter, uh, or maybe it was late third quarter. What whatever it was, there was a drive where the broadcast noted that Mustafa Johnson had come out, and then he came back in. And he was having his way with some stuff up front. But in general, I didn't think that the offensive line was the problem uh, for USC. Even with there, there was uh, there were a couple plays where Jalen McKenzie gets beat, uh, where Liam Jimmins gets beat. Uh, but but across the board, I thought that those moments were few and far between. And I didn't think that they were the problem. Um, so I think there are certainly weaknesses on this offensive line. Right. But. No different than, like, for instance, uh, I think it was Keeley who brought up in, in our DM thread, you know, they, they, they lost Drew Richmond. Yeah, which, which game, is why Liam Jimmons was in. Right, Liam Jimmons, because Jalen McKenzie moved over and Liam Jimmons came in. And it was like, yeah, but in the first quarter, like, Drew Richmond is the one who gives up a sack. So it's not like, you know, Drew Richmond hasn't exactly been, like, the all-world everything. Like, you can't live without him on the offensive line. Um, I don't think Jalen McKenzie is a drop off from Drew Richmond at right tackle, and I don't think Liam Jimmins is a drop off from Jalen McKenzie at right guard. So again, I, I like a. I don't think the injuries played that big a role, and b. I think that in general USC's offensive line wasn't the problem. For once, for once, it was not the offensive line. It was USC skill players making random mistakes. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. I agree with just about everything that you're putting out there. Uh, let's go to an email we got, for, sorry, a voicemail we got from Greg. This is Greg from Louisiana calling again. You know, the injuries for the team really aren't an excuse at this point. I figure that the injuries are due from a lack of a physical practice. So if we practice more physical, uh, the bodies would be more used to the physical style of football and the hits taken. So this is no excuse. This is another example of play health incompetence of a coach. Thanks for the call, Greg. Uh, I, I think it's interesting here because the idea that injuries are a reaction to not practicing physically, uh, you know, strenuous practices. This is a thought that you have put out there, Alicia. I, I, I want to hear your thoughts here because I have thoughts too, but you, you take it away. 
I think it's possible. Um, I don't I think that the injury question is too complex to have one answer. I think that it's possible that if USC tackled in practice, players would get you would get more benefits from tackling in practice. I don't know if you would like prevent injuries, but I don't think you'd end up with so many more injuries. Like, for instance, USC is already dealing with an injury crisis and they don't tackle in practice. So, like, would it really be that much worse if you tackled in practice? But maybe you tackle better in the games. Like, that's sort of my thought. Um, and I think there is something to the idea of getting your body conditioned for contact. Um, I don't think it explains everything, though, because, again, I always say back to when, you know, I when I was frequenting message boards growing up uh, during the Pete Carroll era, the conspiracy theories about Howard Jones Field having bad turf and that's why USC had so many injuries um, that you know, USC's strength and conditioning program wasn't good enough because that's why USC had so many injuries. Like, USC tackled in practice, and they had so many injuries. So it's, you know. Well, this is my thought, too, that this is the most injury, the most amount of injuries I can remember. And SC was injured playing last year. And the funny thing is, this is not as many injuries as USC had in 2017. Well, I was going to say 2013. 2013 is the most that I remember. Uh, the 2017 Notre Dame game, sure. Uh, there was a bunch of people out that game. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm. To me, I think of the 2013 season. There were so many injuries, and and you know, I think SC beats UCLA. Maybe, maybe, uh, if not for the injuries on the offensive line, they lost two guys in that Absolutely. game. Absolutely, and it yeah. completely sucked the the life out of that game. The, the Coliseum was electric. For the first five minutes of that game. Uh, and then, you know, SC ends up losing, uh, you know, Marcus Martin and Andre Walker. And immediately the life is sucked out of the Coliseum. And SC gets essentially blown out of the Coliseum by UCLA, right? I don't know if they win. They at least play a little bit closer uh, in what is essentially was Ed Ogeron's last game. But uh, Dion Bailey tweeted this out. Sue Cravens has, has mentioned this how hard they were practicing that year, how physical their practices were with Edo. You want me to just read the injury update going to that UCLA game? George Farmer, ACL. That was in the spring, though. Steven Mitchell, I think he had a spring ACL. Uh, Greg Townsend was out with the knee. Devin Shelton was out with the foot. Zach Banner out with the hip. He had hip offseason hip surgery, I think. Uh, Jordan Simmons with the knee. Uh, Justin Davis with an ankle. David Garness with the back. Gerald Bowman with the shoulder. Taylor Ross with the knee. Lamar Dawson. Uh, and DJ Morgan had ACL tears. Uh, uh, Morgan Breslin is not listed here, but he didn't play after the Notre Dame game. Uh, Marquise Lee was hurt most of that season. Uh, we talked about you know Marcus Martin and Andre Walker going down in that game. There were a billion injuries that season, and you know in the Arizona game they they were out. Uh, Darius Rogers, Devon Flournoy, and Marquise Lee like. I don't think that there's one answer. And this is why this the injury conversation frustrates me. Because everyone wants to talk about there being one answer. Oh, the problem is this. The problem is that. And to me, that is so misguided. And there's no facts to back up any of this stuff to prove any of it right. And and it makes it very frustrating because what it does is it perpetuates these arguments. I don't know... If, if practicing harder in practice leads to more or less injuries. I know there's a lot of sports science that Clay Helton would probably tell you that, 
that there's a reason that they're going lighter because of the sports science and what it says. I don't know how valid that is. I also don't know how valid it is that a strength and conditioning coach is, is the reason that, that this is here. Uh, we can Aaron Osmus, his most recent season at USA was 2013. He's the common denominator. Is it his fault? I have no idea. Like, I just, I think all of this stuff, because there's no, there's no fact that you can get out there that says, okay, why did Abdul Malik McLean separate his shoulder? What was the cause? You know what the cause was? He hit the ground. That's the cause. But like, how did that happen? Right. But, but, but what like, really caused it? Like, I don't, we, we that, don't know. This is, injuries are too complex. Every right. team has injuries. Every yes. team has injuries. I think the the frustration comes from if you're going to be this injured anyways, then why not tackle in practice? Sure. That's that's where I come from. Like if you're going to have this many injuries anyways when you're not tackling in practice. Right. Why not just tackle in practice? Cuz at cuz at that point you're acknowledging, you know what? It's luck of the draw. We either get lucky or we won't. Yeah, that's fair. I I want to say that Lamar Dawson's ACL tear happened in practice, didn't it? And Taylor Ross's uh, or was yeah, it Taylor but I'm sure Lamar, I thought Lamar Dawson's was like a non-contact kind of thing, though. Yeah, but but yeah, and and the ACL tears usually are. But yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I think you have a good point though. That yeah, if if teams are going to be injury riddled no matter what. Also, part of this, why are teams more injury riddled now? Because we have science, and players that are hurt. Don't play on injuries like they did in 1972 and you just rub dirt on it and go back out there, you pansy. Yeah. Like, this is not 1972. Or like a guy with a separated shoulder probably keeps playing on that. Yeah. A a, a couple decades ago. Yeah. Would you... Pop it right back in. Go. Would you come out or would you you come out and risk Marv Goo yelling at you or would you you stay in the game? You know what I'm saying? So, I don't know. I mean... Obviously, there's a multitude of injuries that that doesn't apply to everybody, but I'm just saying, uh, yeah, I, I I hate injuries. I hate injuries being a topic. I do. I agree. It's just agree. they're so they're so complex. Uh, it's good. Well, you know why injuries yeah. are a topic? Because USC is a vulnerable team. Sure, but like you said, I I agree. Like the problems against Colorado were not injury related. Yeah, it would be. The only, Not inherently. Yeah, I think that it'd be easier to talk about injuries if we were talking about the Washington game, about, you know, I, I, I'm more comfortable now in saying that, I know I don't want to rehash this, but I think Keaton Slovis wins that game. I think you are correct. Knowing how good he is in the fourth quarter and how many opportunities SC had in the fourth quarter and how good SC's defense was in the second half. You tell me if that game wasn't played again today under the same circumstances, he doesn't win that game. I think he wins that game. I think he at least has he, a very he, good chance of winning that game. At, at worst, it plays out like Notre Dame, right? Yeah. I think USC is probably one possession at right. the very least. Sure. Yeah. I, I think that's 100% fair. And I think that yeah. that's an injury situation where we can say, okay, maybe injuries cost USC that game because right. Slovis is better than Fink. But right. on, the, on the whole, USC's problems have not been injury related. Like, Alabama gets to point to, well, should they play Tua against LSU and the sort of one, the one-off game with the quarterback out kind of thing. Alabama gets to have that discussion because Alabama wins all their other games. Right. Yeah, that's CS3. Perfect time to sign up for our Patreon and help support the show. Uh, Patreon.com slash Reign of is where you can do that. Get all of our bonus episodes for five fifty-five a month or, 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 or. 
For 10 bucks, you get to join our Slack channel and uh, get to live and breathe USC football and so much more with us uh, 24-7 as much as you want. So there's a the little spiel. Phone number 213-373-1872. Email address randomtroyatfansire.com. We will be back tomorrow, tomorrow, to preview USC and Oregon, the biggest game of the season. The game. This is it. Whole season on the line for USC. Uh, anyways, until then, we will see you. See you. See you. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.